0: John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. Just a little context, though. Um, Earlier in this chapter, it recounts how Jesus was in Jerusalem. So That's where he is while he's speaking these things. And he had healed a lame man in Jerusalem. And that was on the Sabbath day. And that got the man first in trouble because he had picked up his mat like jesus told him to and then when they learned that jesus had healed him on the sabbath day that they became angry at jesus and then when jesus explained what he was doing that the father is working until now and i'm working they became even more hostile to jesus because he was making god his own father and making himself equal with god which of course were true things but they made his opponents hostile even ready to kill him but jesus in that context continues to explain the truth and to talk to the people there last week we looked at how he said that um giving life and executing judgment have been committed to him by the father and that he had been sent for this purpose and even now he's Proclaiming his voice, and the dead are coming to life as they receive him by faith, and there is coming a day in which his voice will wake the dead from their tombs, and he will execute judgment, some to life, some to condemnation. And so at that point, we're going to pick up today, verses 30 through 47. Finish chapter 5 today. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, You will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hopes. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing to us yourself and revealing to us life, life eternal through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we might hear you this day, that we might be taught by you and by your son, our teacher, our Lord, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, Jesus begins by describing the unity that he has with the Father, that he does not act on his own. Uh, He perfectly does the Father's will, and that he has been sent, and he has a mission, and he is doing his Father's will. And so he's not coming in his own name. He's not simply coming and telling people to believe him, and that's it. The Father also bears witness to him. He knows that in the law, that there was a law about witnesses. How many witnesses did you need? You needed more than one, right? To, to establish a crime. You wouldn't just put someone to death on the evidence of one witness. You would need two or three witnesses. And Jesus is saying, it's not just me that is witnessing to the fact that I am the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior of the world. But the Father also testifies to this. And the Father testifies to this in multiple ways. And not only that, but John the Baptist also testified of this. Of course, he's just a man. I'm not receiving my testimony from man. I'm receiving the testimony from God. But you guys believed John, or at least you sent people to John. You you thought that he was important. You inquired about him, who he thought he was, and he testified of me. But there's even better testimony than that. Even better than John's, the Father himself has sent me, has sent his testimony regarding me. The works that I'm doing, that the Father sent me to do, and the scripture that you have. And you know that there's life in there. You think there's life in there. And there is. And it's in me. in the Son of God. It's in Jesus Christ. But you refuse to come to me. I see that the love of God is not in you. That's like what Jesus is saying to the Jews who are approaching him there. And we can learn, too. Hopefully we're not like the Jews, right? That we want to have life, that we want to receive the life that God offers in his word. And these witnesses, these testimony uh, to, to God is what we receive and what we believe and how we have life in his name. And so the son does not receive glory from people, or merely from himself, uh, but from his father, from God. But first, let's look at verses thirty-three through thirty-five. The Jews listened to John, and John bore witness to Jesus. Now, now we're not talking about the apostle John; we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been preaching, had been baptizing. And his witness was the witness of a man, but he was a man respected by the Jews. And back in chapter 1, it mentions how the Jews had sent people to John. They said, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Or Who are you? What witness did John bear? John said, I am not the Christ. But I am preparing the way of the Lord. There is one coming after me who was before me. I'm cryptic, but of course we understand what he means. That God himself was coming in the flesh. The son of God whom he would baptize. And even when Jesus approached, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John had borne witness to Jesus. He had told them that he was preparing the way for the Lord. He had testified even of the Father's voice at the baptism and seeing the Spirit descend upon him. John was a burning and shining lamp. The Jews were willing to rejoice for a time in his light. But he was a light, a lamp. It's a different word than light. Jesus is the light. John was a lamp. He reflected the light. He gave true words. He was a, a man sent from God with a divine message. But he shone for a time, and then the light flickered out. John was put to death. But he was there as a temporary mission. He was there to point to the one who would come. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light is coming into the world. And who is he? Jesus. Jesus is the true light. And so Jesus here is saying, you delighted in his message and his light, But it was to bear witness of me. And I am the true light that will never die, that will continue to shine. And he shines even today as he gives knowledge of salvation to us. He is the lasting, the enduring light. Think of how you might have a flashlight or a candle that is a light for a little time. But then Jesus is like the sun that comes up and lights everything. And he had come. But Jesus says there's a testimony greater than John. John testified of Jesus. By the way, the word for testify, testimony, in Greek is the same word as witness, witnesses. It's all talking about the same idea. As in a courtroom where you said, he did it. I can tell you, this is what happened. Uh, or I have something to hold against someone or hold uh, you know, for someone. John had a witness, a testimony about Jesus, saying he is the Christ. But then there's someone greater. Who is the one greater? The Father is the one who was greater. The Father testified at the baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But also, the Father testified concerning the Son through his works and through the scripture. So first, look at... Verse 36, or consider verse 36. He says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Even his enemies recognize that Jesus did miraculous works. What was the whole debate about in chapter 5? What was the very works he was doing? He had healed a lame man. A man who had been lame for for decades, for years, had been healed. And that's why they were upset about him. His enemies knew that he had done works, great works, signs and wonders. Just like Pharaoh saw that there were great signs and wonders, the finger of God at work. The, the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew that Jesus did miracles, things that no, there was no natural explanation for. But what did they do? They said, "Oh, it must have been a demon." Uh, later, uh, people who were trying to discredit Jesus were saying, "Oh, he was a magician. He came up with these things from from Egypt." You know, not in the Bible, but after the Bible, people would write about Jesus that way. But even his enemies testified that he did miraculous things. That he was not simply saying things, but he did things that would confirm his message. And of course. He didn't speak like someone who had a demon. He said good things. He said marvelous things. He said biblical things. And he cast out demons. So the apostles saw these works and they recorded them. They remembered them. John said there were so many of them. I don't know if the books in all the world would be able to hold them. But he wrote some. He recorded some of those works so that you would believe that he is the Christ. And the Spirit brought these words and works to the remembrance of the apostles, so that they could claim them and write them down, and we have yes. them here in the New Testament. They proclaimed to all generations, even to you, what they had seen and what they had heard, which was the life that they might, you might have fellowship with the apostles in the same faith and the same life that Jesus testified of by his works. Now, what are some works that Jesus did? Chapter 2, we saw he, he turned the water into wine. He healed the official's son without even going down from another town. He spoke the word, and the son was brought to good health. who he was about to die. In chapter 5, we saw that he healed the lame man who was invalid, who had been invalid for many years, and he spoke... He was, well, in the next chapter, he's going to feed 5,000, more than 5,000 people. Five loaves of bread and two fish. That would be a miraculous work. Mm -hmm. He spoke. He spoke the words and it was done. He did the works of the Father, the works he was sent to do as the Christ. And you know what the greatest work was? rising from the dead for our salvation, giving us salvation. Now these works showed that he was no ordinary man. A lot of people said they were the Christ. A lot of people said, I'm the Savior. Follow me. Come out with your weapons. Join with me out of town. We're going we're gonna to win. I'm the fulfillment of the prophets. And some people followed them, and, and they died. Uh, they got slaughtered. A lot of the other people testified of themselves, and Jesus says, You'll follow anybody. You're gonna follow people that, that just bear witness about themselves. And that was true sometimes, sadly. But Jesus was no ordinary man. He was sent by God. And the claims he made were not empty boasts, but they were backed up by supernatural evidence. The words he said came to pass, like in Deuteronomy would say of a true prophet. Not only prophecies about, you know, what's going to happen in this generation, the destruction of Jerusalem or the progress of the gospel, but even more immediate things than that. You know, you are healed and he was healed. His words took effect. And so he says, first, consider the works that the father has given me to accomplish the very works that I'm doing and have gotten me in trouble. Consider them and see that the father has sent But the next witness was the witness of Scripture to Christ. Now, the witness of Scripture, here's the the Scripture they had. Now, of course, this is true of all of Scripture, what he's about to say, but it's especially true of the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament Scripture they had. In fact, the works that he did, that's kind of a way of referring to the New Testament, The, the witness that we have of Jesus Christ himself, what he did his message as the apostles proclaimed it. We have the eyewitness account of the apostles, but we also have the prophets. We also have Moses. We have the Old Testament, and that spoke of Jesus too. Not only did Jesus do signs and wonders, but he also fulfilled the scripture that had been previously given by God. And that was the other test of a prophet in Deuteronomy. You know, a prophet could do signs and wonders, but then... Try to lead the people away and to follow another God. Well, that would be a sign that someone was doing it by demonic power, right? Uh, that could be a sign that this was a, a, an evil person uh, who was trying to, to draw the people away. And there would be false prophets to test the people of their faithfulness to God. But Jesus was not one of them. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He was in accord with the Old Testament, the word they already had. He couldn't just make things up as he went. Uh, he would be consistent with what he already said. And so the Jews had the scriptures, they had the oracles of God, and the scriptures bore witness about Jesus. In John 5, in John 5, 39 through 40, uh, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, there's a little question about whether Jesus is saying that they should do this or that they do do this. Is it you search the scriptures or search the scriptures? Uh, The Greek is identical and uh, and doesn't really determine it one way or the other. Um, And there's a lot of discussion in the commentaries which way it is. But in either case, it has a similar point. You have in your possession the key to life. You have the scriptures. You think that in them is eternal life. And they testify of me. Either you are searching them, but you're searching them in vain because you're refusing to embrace them with the love of God and to receive the one whom he has sent. Or you need to go back and search them again because they speak of me. In any case, the scriptures are key, and searching the scriptures is key, and they bear witness to Jesus. A person should search the scripture, not just own the Bible, right, and know how to read, but one should read it and search it. You know, like if something's lost, are you going to search diligently for it, going to lift things up and look around the corner and Maybe clean up a little bit and try to organize things and figure out where it went. That's why you should search the scriptures, examining them, studying them. How does this part fit with this part? What does this mean? Search the scriptures. Why? Because they have eternal life. They hold forth. They offer. This is the way of life. Deuteronomy said that. Deuteronomy 32 verse 47 it says for it is no empty word for you but your very life and by this word you shall live long in the land he's saying the word that i'm commanding you this day it's no empty thing it's no vain thing it's your very life this is the uh the word of god and this is the way to live not just the way you should do things but it is the way by which you will live and not die, and the life that Scripture offers is found in Jesus Christ. Scripture presents him to us, the Old Testament bore witness to Christ by its promises, by its prophecies, by its symbols, by the, the account that it gave of the world and God's work. The New Testament, of course, presents him to us as the one who was. The whole scripture bears witness to Christ. Now, Philip knew this already. Back in chapter 1, one of Jesus' disciples, he told Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He said, come on, Nathanael, the person that all those scriptures were talking about, we found him, and his name is the Jesus of Nazareth. So Philip got it but these other Jews didn't see it. The Jews who were hostile to Jesus were sinning against what they were given. They had the testimony, but they refused to come. They didn't merely not know, but they refused to come to Jesus that they would have life. So life was there. It was presented to them. It was like a gift all wrapped up and ready, but they refused to come. But Jesus is saying it's there. You need to listen to the testimony of the Father. And then at the end of this passage, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, first of all, notice that Moses wrote his writings. That might seem kind of uh, obvious, but these days it's not so obvious. In scholarship, uh, in especially unbelieving scholarship, people will say, oh, I don't know if Moses really wrote these things. I don't know if Moses even existed. Oh, You know, there's debates about did Moses write anything. Uh, but here Jesus says, Moses wrote of me. You have Moses. And will you believe his writings? So Moses Wrote, uh, either he edited or wrote Genesis, published Genesis, and then wrote Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. These writings were from Moses, but not only did he write, he wrote as a true prophet. He wrote the Word of God, and he wrote about Jesus. And so those who reject Jesus do not believe Moses, just like those who do not receive the son don't receive the father. So those who reject the son also reject Moses. They don't understand his writings or they don't believe them. Think of how some ways the writings of Moses speak about Jesus in chapter three of Genesis. What was promised? There would be the promised offspring of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent. In Genesis 22, it speaks of the promised offspring of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Genesis 49, it talks about the promised offspring of Judah, who would receive the obedience of all the peoples. It's kind of narrowing in, right? we got the woman, we got Abraham, we got Judah, course, Jesus was from the line of Judah. In Exodus, then we have the Passover lamb, a lamb that they're supposed to continue to sacrifice year after year to, as an image of God's redemption of his people through the shedding of blood. That they would be saved, an image of Jesus, the lamb of God. In Exodus 16, God gives manna to his people, manna from heaven, bread from heaven for the life of his people. We're going to come to that next chapter. Jesus says, I am the bread who has come down from heaven. I am the bread of the world, bread of life. Throughout Exodus and Leviticus, we have sacrifices, shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, the priesthood, which was imperfect. People kept dying, but there was an intercession between God and his people. There were the feasts that would commemorate the the redemption of God. All of this pointing to the one who would accomplish it, the Lord Jesus. In Numbers, we have an account of a bronze serpent that was raised up by Moses himself. So that all you had to do is look at it and you would be saved and not die from the plague that was afflicting them for their sins. And Jesus already said in chapter 3 that even as Moses raised the bronze serpents and all who looked at him would live, so Jesus would be raised up on the cross. And then into heaven, all who would believe in him would be saved and not perish. And then in Deuteronomy, as we read in chapter 18, Moses said there would be a prophet like him, one to mediate between God and his people. Of course, the end of the book says, and no one has been like Moses. (laughs) You know, there's this prophecy, though, that there would be someone like Moses. In fact, one who would be greater than Moses, as we'll find out, but who would speak God's words, and to him you must listen. And so these are just a sample of various ways that uh, even the five books of Moses pointed to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I don't need to condemn you. I don't need to be the prosecutor here. The one you already profess, Moses, he will be your prosecutor. He will be the witness against you because you do not believe him. So what should we learn from this? Let's not neglect the word that we have been given. Not neglect the salvation that has been offered. Search the scriptures, because they do hold forth life, eternal life. Search the Old Testament. Search the New Testament. It's all one unified message that meets in Jesus Christ. Do you read scripture? If you listen to it being read, that is good. That's step one. And then we need to do more than that. We need to respond with faith and with love. Respond believingly. I mentioned that Spellcheck doesn't think believingly is a real word, but it's a good word to describe the way we ought to perceive God's word. Believingly. Receiving the one that God has sent. Jesus is presented to you in Scripture that you might receive him and live eternally. And then lay up these words upon your heart. Speak of them as you go about your way, as you rise up and as you lie down. Teach them to your children, for they're your life. And they have the life of God presented in them through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to finish by quoting a verse from 1 John, from the epistle, in which it speaks of the testimony of God. Concerning his son. What is in brief The message that the father would have us know. Concerning the son. And this is what first John five. Verses 11 through 12 says. And this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son. Has life. Whoever does not have the son of God. Does not have life. This is the testimony. This is the witness. Do we believe him? Pray we do. Do we have the son? This is a great thing then. You have life. Life that never ends. Life in the kingdom to come. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for giving us life. Eternal life. And placing this life in your son. So that we might simply by believing in him. Trusting in him might receive this life as a gift. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us through your word, to bless this appointed means, that it would not condemn us, but rather support us and strengthen us, build us up in holiness and comfort. We pray that you would use your word and your church to indeed bring us to salvation. We pray, Father, that you would save the lost, even those who presently refuse to come, that you would draw them in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.